0: Good morning. Welcome to those of you who are coming to Redeemer for the first time. I'm not the normal man to stand up here, but I trust that the Lord will help us as we worship Him through His Word together. Um, My name is Rob Holmes. My family is here with me. We are somewhat new to Redeemer because we are missionaries to the country of Chad, and We've been working on Bible translation there for a number of years, so that's just a little bit of my background. If you would turn with me to the book of Matthew 28, we're going to read the very last section of Matthew, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And if you, when you found it, if you would stand with me as we read God's Word together. and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. You may be seated. We're a gospel people redeemed from sin, and we have here our great commission from our Lord. But are we living as great commission people, as a great commission church? This passage is foundational for us to consider whether, in fact, we're living out our King's mission. And my hope today is that we will be able to find ourselves freshly exhilarated over not only Jesus' commands, but our relationship to Him. First, let's think of the context of this story whose ending we've just read. Matthew 27 and 28 tells the story of Jesus' trial his death and crucifix- by crucifixion, and now his resurrection. And we have here a lot of things that have been condensed for us by Matthew. But Jesus is alive. That's the exciting thing, isn't it? Jesus is alive. It's astounding news to the disciples. And it's important to notice how here at the end of the gospel, there are some echoes of elements from the story's beginning. Remember in chapter 1, when Jesus' earthly parents were told to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us, fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy. And now the resurrected Jesus is saying to his disciples, I will be with you. The end of Matthew recalls the beginning that Jesus was born for a purpose, to save his people from their sins. Matthew's written account for us shows, in fact, that what happened in Jesus' story recalls and fulfills much Old Testament prophecy. Jesus' resurrection and commission echo God's prior dealings with his servants. If you think of Moses and Joshua, among others, how God promised to be present with them. We Bible readers know that Jesus, as the incarnation of God, is not a twist in the salvation story, but the culmination of what was spoken of through the prophets that God had sent over the years to Israel, to his people. And we know that Jesus' life carries forward God's purpose that's mentioned in Exodus 40, when his glorious presence filled the tabernacle. And for the first time, God is said to have made his dwelling among his people, human people, Matthew's ending also echoes the prayer of King David in 2 Samuel 7 when he acknowledges God's purpose, quote, to redeem a people for himself and to make a name for himself, knowing that God fully intended for this to mean a living relationship with all people. Now, this passage is so familiar to those of us who are, quote, the professional missionaries, and but it's not really just for missionaries. It's for all of us. And this little ending it, at Matthew, of Matthew's Gospel is a source of so much amazing grace, so many things that have been done, so many acts of God that have happened because people have meditated on this and have carried out Jesus' commands. And as a missionary, I've reflected often on this passage. And I thought it would be a great reminder to us of God's marvelous acts and our part in the story, as we're sending Jim and Margaret out. It's a story that continues to unfold. And as we look at the text itself, I want to note three indicators that will mark us individually and as a church that when we aim to live out the Great Commission. So let's look in at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is where they were originally from, most of the disciples. And they were there. They were there because Jesus had instructed them before his death and resurrection to go there. In Matthew 26, he says, but after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And now after his resurrection, he tells the women who went to the tomb, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. According to the pieces of information that we have throughout the Gospels, Jesus subsequently went back to Jerusalem, and we know that he he ascended from there into heaven. And it was there that he met with hundreds of other believers and followers. But here in Matthew 28, we see his intention to meet his 11 specially trained disciples on an unspecified mountain. In their home, on their home turf in Galilee. And so the mission that Jesus gives to his disciples is, in fact, the place where his own mission began. Another aspect for us to note is that the mountain is the backdrop. We don't know which mountain, but it highlights Jesus' role as the new Moses, as the one giving a new command. Now, there's a time gap between verse 16 and 17. You can see there, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What's interesting in this verse is that when the eleven saw Jesus, they worshipped, but we're told that some doubted. We don't know from the Greek how many of them doubted, but it's safe to say they recognized the Lord Jesus but some of them also wondered what was going on. At least some, if not all, had doubts. And wouldn't that have been normal? Human. Imagine you are one of Jesus' eleven disciples. You've disowned him. You ran off at his hour of need. You might see Jesus in doubt, not only that it was really him, but that he would like to have anything further to do with you. British scholar R.T. France says that we shouldn't think that some of, that the eleven ultimately disbelieved or refused to believe, is how he puts it, but that they were for a short time overwhelmed with the reality of the resurrection. And they were really dealing with their own little faith, as Jesus had told them at certain times. But Jesus' words in 18 through 20 would have put their doubts to rest. Any worry that Jesus no longer accepted them as a disciple, as his brothers, and any worry that it was really him, their Lord and Savior, their teacher, would be dispelled. And in the same way for us, Jesus' words dispel doubt and they evoke faith. And I want us to dig in now to those three verses that dispel doubt. As I said, we need to note some indicators that mark a Great Commissioned person or a Great Commissioned church. And we find them in these verses. And so just to help you remember them, I've got three little words. King commands confidence. So let's say them together. King commands confidence. King commands confidence. Good, you've got it. We're going to start with king. Verse 18, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So first of all, we disciples live joyfully under the authority of the king. What a joyful thing to have a king. What a powerful king we have. All authority in heaven and on earth. Remember that long genealogy that started with Abraham and ends with Jesus in Matthew 1. And then in chapter 2, Jesus is portrayed as the true king of the Jews, fulfilling, quote, what was said and spoken of by the prophets. Jesus is the true son of the promise. Jesus is the king, and his declaration about his authority comes out of the tradition of Daniel 7. Remember Daniel's vision. He said that He was led into God's presence where the text reads, One, like a son of man, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. And then it says, His kingdom will never end. That is mind-blowing authority. Jesus not only taught with authority, As we see in Matthew 7, He has all authority. Our King is unlike any other God. In Islam, God is called the all-powerful One, Al-Qadir in Arabic. But our God is all-powerful and personal to us. Jesus told His eleven disciples He had all authority, and in the end, no one doubted. It's obvious they knew Jesus was there in front of them. And as we see in the continuing story in Acts, Acts of the Apostles, those final encounters with Jesus, those final words, inspired them to the point where they had the joy and they had the strength to go out and do amazing things. Two weeks ago, my wife found a YouTube video Of the California Baptist University choir that moved me to tears. It helped me experience in my gut what verse 18 says about Jesus' authority that Jesus will reign forever. The chorus in that video has the men singing out, You will reign forever. Do you know that? You will reign forever. That just echoed in my my heart, in my life, over these last couple of weeks. It's, It's something we must feel. We must not only acknowledge with our heads. Jesus has all authority. His statement of authority, then, is not just a polished relic of the Old Testament from Daniel 7, but it's a present reality. It helps us experience what He wants us to experience as we carry out His commands. Now, if you are a good if you are a great commissioned person, or if we are a great commissioned church, Jesus not only wants us to live under the demands of his authority and kingship, but he also wants us to know the awe of that kingship and experience the joy that there is in his authority. Do you have joy living under the authority of the king? So, that indicator will help us discern whether we're living out Jesus' mission. A, good, a great commission church, a great commission Christian, lives joyfully under the authority of the King and now commands. Secondly, a, a great commission person or church lives in obedience to Jesus' commands. Now, we need to stop and remind ourselves that just because Jesus is speaking, to these 11 disciples, that it doesn't mean that there are no ramifications for us, his 21st century disciples. Over the centuries until the time of the Reformers, there were very few groups of Christians who really understood that Jesus' commission here is for all of his followers. That's why William Carey, when he wrote in 1792 a missionary treatise why he was considered so radical. Carey served as an early missionary to India, and he wanted to start a fire under the British church of his day. And he titled his treatise, An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. At least that was the first half of the title. It was so radical because it expected and it enjoined every Christian to take to heart Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through eighteen through twenty, to live out their, the great commission in obedience to Jesus, just as the original eleven were called to do. Now, if we have a universal king, we have a universal mission. And verse nineteen here starts with therefore, because of his authority in heaven and on earth. King Jesus, therefore, tells the disciples to do certain things. These are not optional. They are commands. A Great Commissioned Church lives in obedience to these specific commands. Making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, and remembering that He, our King, is sovereign in His placement of us where we do that. We won't note right now all there is all that is entailed in baptizing them and teaching them but we need to recognize that these commands are not mere duties either they bring people into a new relationship with the king the whole trinity is involved as we see here baptizing them into the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit it's easy to forget these basic commands In a day when many mission agencies, many churches, many of us individuals, we focus much more on what we could call the benefits of the gospel. those blessings like education classes or water projects, which should grow out of a disciple-making strategy and never be a replacement for making disciples for Jesus. Why, you might ask? I'm glad you did. (laughs) Why must disciple making, baptizing, and teaching Jesus' ways be paramount in missions? We know Jesus' commands are not magic, but they focus on the main thing. And they get to the heart of the matter, which is what authority people are following, what they believe, and what their relationship to God is. Consequently, whether they are slaves to sin, or to God. Romans 6:22 makes the claim that those who have been set free from sin have become slaves to God, and that the benefit we reap is, quote, leading to holiness and the result is eternal life. These commands produce eternal fruit. Don't forget that, Jim and Margaret. Another reason why Great Commission believers like us must live in obedience to the commands of Jesus our King is that he said, If you love me, what? That's it. You will obey my commandments. John 14. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. There are many other commands that Jesus gave. In fact, I, I found a list of 50 on the Internet this week. But they are things like, repent, follow me, don't let your hearts be troubled, feed my sheep, rejoice, let your light shine before men. But in this passage, we see the commands that are critical to carrying out Christ's authoritative mission. Make, baptize, teach disciples. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 15, 18-20, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has done through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. A Great Commissioned Church or a Great Commissioned Christian lives under the commands of Jesus depending on this power of the Spirit and His Word, not on a water project, not on a school There is a certain denomination that still has the mission's horse before the cart, and in Chad, I have seen that denomination's missionaries focused primarily on living in obedience to Jesus, telling the gospel story, and teaching people the scriptures. Would people see that we at Redeemer Presbyterian are doing all that is in our power to do, to be a great commissioned church in this way? Living in obedience to Jesus' commands. And now confidence. Look at verse 20 with me. "I have com- oh, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's focus on that last bit of the verse. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus' manner of meeting and commissioning His disciples in these verses recalls the Old Testament tradition of God revealing Himself and commissioning His servants. We thought of Moses before, and there was Gideon and Samuel, many others. He charged them to do something, and then He would say He would be involved. For example, in Judges 6, He tells Gideon, I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites. In Exodus 3, God tells Moses, I'm calling you to go before Pharaoh. And then he emphasizes, I will be with you. I will be with you. The very name given to Jesus at the incarnation, Emmanuel, it underscores Jesus' commitment to be with us in his, with his disciples in the great commission he's given. It echoes Isaiah 7 that God would show a sign, His mercy, in a Son who would be called God with us. So in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see God is guaranteeing His faithfulness in a daily way to empower us, His messengers, to guide us, to help us towards the end of the age that He mentions. Now, once when I was in Chad... You know, it's it's in Africa, hot Saharan area. We have sultans there. Sultans are kings. I needed an audience with the sultan of Amtiman. I needed to get his permission to do what I'd come to do, and that was scripture comprehension testing. So to figure out whether people could really understand what we're translating the scriptures, how we're translating the scriptures. So I went and i put on my best arab clothes my robes and i went and i hoped that the sultan would be friendly and as we neared the sultan's place and his attendants he had a lot of attendants out front my friend suleiman who was with me casually mentioned that the sultan the king was his grandfather imagine my joy my, friend for, my only friend for 300 miles around was the grandson of the king. And I thought, could this be a coincidence? When we got into the sultan's presence, we showed our respect by taking off our sandals in front of him. We greeted him, and it reminded me of Exodus with Moses there taking off his sandals, recognizing the Lord's power and authority and holiness there at the burning bush and the sultan received us sort of routinely. And strangely, he and Suleiman they hardly talked. They, they acted like they didn't know each other from Adam. And gradually, he became a little more pleasant. And then he confirmed to me that, yes, in fact, Suleiman is my grandson. Now, only later did I find out why there was such formality. And when they're actually family members. And the protocol showed that Suleiman is just like anyone else. He's one of the king's subjects, one of the sultan's subjects. He was under his authority and command. But here's the amazing part if the sultan comes to Suleiman's home and is with him, then the sandal removal and all the protocol stops. When the king is with his people in their homes, the true nature of the king's relationship is revealed. His authority and his command are guided by his relationship to his subject. And now we know Jesus is the sultan of the universe. And we know he wants to make a people for himself, as it says in Exodus 29. And that he's calling us to do our part in that. Now, I mentioned wanting you to be freshly exhilarated over Jesus' commands and your relationship to him this morning. But you can only be exhilarated if you see in these verses that Jesus is authoritative and that his commands and his presence are all bound up together in his relationship to you. Jesus is an amazing sultan, an amazing king. And his rule or reign is all about relationships. So if you are not Jesus' disciple, then you don't need to worry about his commands. Since you haven't even begun to understand his authority yet, his kingly purpose, you don't even have a claim on his presence. But Jesus initiated a new relationship between God and man, us humans. And a hallmark of that was His compassion for people, seeing people as sheep without a shepherd, needing to be fed and led. And His compassion reveals God's character towards us, His creatures. So submit yourself to His authority. And you will be delivered from being dominated by sin. And you'll be able to serve and to live in the joy of the true King. We great commission people, we live with confidence, confidence, because of the presence of Jesus Christ with us. And you can as well. And we live with that confidence of Jesus' presence with us because He said this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We have a king. We have his commands and we have his presence. We have confidence in that presence. And my prayer for us as a church and for Jim and Margaret For each of us as believers, is that we will love that King. We will live in the joy of His authority. We will carry out His commands, understanding His purpose and His character. And that we'll live daily with the confidence that comes from His presence with us, just as He was with Moses, just as He was with Joshua, just as He was with Hudson-Taylor just as He was with thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of other servants who were not even known, who obeyed. Are we a Great Commissioned church? Are we living as Great Commissioned people? Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, we thank You We thank you for the glory that's revealed in Jesus Christ. And Lord God, we thank you that Jesus, our King, has all authority and that there's joy for us in living under that authority. We ask you to help us recall that wonderful truth day after day, hour after hour. We pray that in particular for Jim and for Margaret and for their colleagues there in China. We pray that for ourselves, Lord. And Father, we ask that You would bless us as we seek to live in obedience to Jesus' commands, not being tempted into human strategies, not substituting other things or just trying to solve people's problems. Lord, we ask that Jesus' promise to be with us always would ignite confidence in our hearts. Whatever You've called us to do, wherever you've placed us. And Lord, we ask that you would work in us and do whatever you have to do to thrill our hearts with your authority and to give us that confidence. Because Lord, we seek for you to carry out your purpose. We seek this this purpose of Christ, the drawing of, of a people for yourself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We seek that goal, Lord, with you. And we ask that you would enable us to do the part that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.